The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit desperately clinging to utopian illusions and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 371 with guest Tiago Silva, recorded live Monday, August 18, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNRTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik. Combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just can't decide between New York Super Fudge Chunk and Prozac, Carl Franklin. Thanks very much. Carl and Richard here for your .NET listening pleasure. Richard, what's yes. up, Sir. Oh, I'm home. Home is good. Home is good. But uh, probably by the time folks are listening to this, we'll have gone to Nashville for uh, DevLink. Yep, that's right. So back. I'm never home for long these days, it seems. It's been such a great summer, great weather. Yeah, I feel like I run a real vacation this summer, getting away to the Galapagos. You know, we all we both got a break for a while there. You did a couple of shows with Mark Dunn. That was yep, cool. That was lots of fun. I, you know, I've been riding my recumbent uh, three-wheeler around town trying to get some exercise because, you know, I need that's that. good. I need that. And yeah. uh, I, it's really funny saying when I come back in the building, I'm like, you know, I got my T-shirt on, big sweat stains all over me and stuff. And people say, hey, where, where you been? Running? And I said, no, man, I just did nine miles on my tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a visual, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, there's a moment there. Little bell, big front wheel, pedal, pedal, pedal. I think I might have said that joke already on the show. I'm not sure. I'm it doesn't matter. It's a good one. Apologize. Hey, speaking of jokes, um, David Grove sent me uh, a link to this Office Online uh, thing, and I shrinksterize it at 11BD. So two anthropomorphic MSN figures are talking to each other. You know what I mean, the little guys. Yeah. And one says... We should make a podcast on how to make podcasts. The other one says, that's dumb. No one would download it. The other one says, good point. We should first make a podcast on how to download podcasts. (laughs) 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 Too funny. Too funny. 
Yeah. Did you make it? Well, no, we've never really got into the how to make podcast business, although we've certainly talked to lots of people about how to make podcasts. Yeah, we've given some advice. Yeah, you bet. All right, let's get into Better Know Framework. Stop this foolishness. All right. Stop that foolishness. What's your foolishness now? All right. So this is something that I've never used, and um, I'm curious about it. So let's maybe get some uh, uh, some feedback from some listeners who have used it. Yeah. It's the multicast delegate. Huh. And basically, it it's represents a delegate that can have more than one element in its invocation list. And I like to think of this as, you know, let's say you've got a... Um, Oh, I don't know, you know, three event handlers for the same event, which you can do yeah. by just adding the handlers manually. So then when the event occurs, this list gets invoked, this list of delegates, instead of having one. So yeah. this is what it says. Multicast delegate is a special class. Compilers and other tools can derive from this class, but you can't derive from it explicitly. The same is true of delegate. A multicast delegate has a linked list of delegates called an invocation list consisting of one or more elements. When it's invoked, the delegates in the invocation list are called synchronously in the order in which they appear. If an error occurs during execution of the list, an exception is thrown. And there is some sample code there. Uh, yeah, let's have a conversation about that. Yeah, let's I'm just thinking about scenarios where this would make sense. Well, and maybe we're using it already and we don't even know. Yeah, it, it might be a lower level class of something we do routinely. Pretty cool. All right. You got an email for us? You know, we got lots of email while we were on vacation there, so uh, I've been picking through the list, but let me just grab you an easy one here. All right. Guys, .NET Rocks is my window into the great minds that are shaping our fascinating business. Yes, It's also my constant companion on my two hours of commuting five days a week. Awesome. I am just another average developer trying to keep up with technology and build applications with intelligent forethought and design. I don't know how many average developers really think that way, but okay. Hmm. I applaud your back-to-basics theme and have a suggestion for a future show or two. Okay. We have moved from the days of struggling to connect to the database and get data back to the app to a situation now where we are overwhelmed with choices of technology. Mm -hmm. Some seem to fit together and others seem to stand alone. Each has their strengths and weaknesses, applicability, and appropriateness for the particular development in process. Earlier this year, we were dazzled with the seeming simplicity of Link, but were left without a middle tier. Now the Entity Framework has come along, and I enjoyed Daniel Simmons both on .NET Rocks and DNR TV. Mm. It would be fantastic to have a show that cleared the playing field and described all of the in-vogue data access techniques one by one, comparing and contrasting their strengths and weaknesses as appropriate for both the classic connected desktop-type client-server application and the disconnected model of the web in general. Now, there's a SmackDown show if I ever heard one. Well, it's just a lot of software. Well, now, I think you'd have to get a lot of people who are knowledgeable in their particular thing. I don't know if, if they're – I mean, this is so much to know – I don't know if there's one person who who has enough knowledge about all these things. Well, and everybody's got a different approach to it as well. But I happen to know that Stevie Forte is working on a keynote that almost is exactly like this. No kidding. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe we just have to get him to come and do it on the show. It might be a better as a DNR TV because it's all about the code, isn't it? Yeah. So what I really want to see is all the different code methods to doing this really the same task over and over again. And obviously, the pros and cons and appropriateness of situations, I mean, that discussion could go on forever. Oh, no, without a doubt. And yeah. that's why I think just showing the code, hold the, hold the opinion, show the code, talk right. about the experience of talk creating it. Talk about the it. architecture, et cetera. Yeah, and let other people think through. Now you choose. What did you like? What didn't you like? Well, you know, but, but we sort of have done that just one product at a time. Right. 
on the show. If there are other products that we need to talk about, let's do that. Now, I'm with you. I think this is a DNR TV, a big one. Mm. All right, let me finish up the email. Okay. No doubt all the various ADO.net techniques will one day converge into some grand unison. Until that time, it is a daunting task out here in the field to keep abreast and understand the significance of all the data access possibilities. You guys are gold. Please do not ever remove all of the old shows. And I am sure many others go back to them time and time again to rethink and understand the wondrous working world that Microsoft and others have provided us. Excellent. Thanks from Stephen Burgett from Ontario. Oh, he's a Canadian. Ah, that explains why he writes so clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen, thanks very much. We'll be firing you out a mug. Yeah. And if you've got any comments, questions, a show you want to see, something we've missed, send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net. Hey, you know who we heard from recently? Who's that? Uh, is the, the folks at uh, Tom Bin. Oh, really? Yeah. The Tom Bin guys are, are, have got like three or four new products that are, that are awesome. Uh, they sent us a couple of these things, and you know it would be great if I actually had the product information in front of me, but uh, the next time we do an intro, I will, I'll, I'll pull up the uh, website and I'll talk about some of their new products. But, but of course, you know, my brain bag, I don't know how long you've had yours, but there is not one frayed uh, piece of clothing or cloth on this bag, and it's been around the world. There's no, there's no nothing. I mean, you know, unraveled seams, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, my brain bag is in perfect shape. It's like steel. It's a, they're amazingly tough stuff, and and yeah, I haven't I I've bought one other uh, bag from Tom Bim, which was that little uh, Imago bag. Yeah, and I've, we I, have Zephyr too. Uh, the Zephyrs are cool. So but as far they, as the it's lap- just a depending on your style, all variety of different Tom Bim bags, and they've been a great supporter of .NET Rocks. Yeah, uh, and the funny part is they just sort of came along. I went and bought one of their bags, was blown away by it. Yeah, told you about it. Yep. You got one, and then they called us. <laughs> yeah. And that said, what Tom, it's t o m b i h n dot com made uh, Washington state of Washington. They is where the company's based and where they make their bags and just phenomenal products. Very high quality stuff. And uh, also, before we uh, get into it here, the uh, there's been a lot of interest in the Dubai jobs. Really, fusion. Yeah, and uh, like four or five people in the last week have inquired about the Dubai uh, position. I guess you know it's a kind of an attractive place to be if you're a geek. It's an adventure to go there. I mean, I, I've spent a few days in Dubai. It's very hot. Hot like you probably can't get your head around hot. Yeah. But it's a, a very a progressive city, and it is a totally different world. You're well, somewhere completely else. It's hot outside, and inside you can go downhill skiing. So, yeah. Well, uh, they got yeah. that crazy. They're, they're crazy there. They're, they're, they're a little nuts. Um, if you're interested in working in Dubai, uh, there are some job opportunities for the right people. Send an email to carl at franklins.net, and I'll hook you up with the people who can uh, make that happen for you. Awesome. And that brings us to our guest, uh, Tiago Silva is a software and business intelligence consultant based out of Dallas, Texas. He was born and raised in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and has been living in the U.S. for 13 years. Tiago has been an instructor for the Microsoft DevCares sessions and is also an instructor for Hitachi Consulting's external education services, teaching clients on the Microsoft business intelligence tools. He's also an architect for the Microsoft practice at Hitachi Consulting in Dallas, and has helped several clients implement business intelligence and reporting solutions using .NET and SQL Server technologies. 
he's co-author of the book Professional SQL Server 2008 Reporting Services by Rocks Publishing. Welcome, Tiago. Thank you. And no, he's not the same guy on UFC or the Olympic athlete in the Brazilian soccer team, just in case you were wondering. Because there's That's so right. many Tiagos out there. No, there are. That's actually a very common name. Right. <laughs> in Texas? No, in, in Brazil. Uh, I know. I'm just kidding. Just Google around and you'll find uh, more than one. There you go. So, um, uh, have, when was the last time you were back in Rio? I was back in December. I took my family out there for Christmas and uh, New Year. Yeah. That was exciting, traveling with a uh, 18-month-old. Oh, man. Internationally. Yeah, and, and it's on a short flight either. That's a long way to go. We had uh, three legs of the flights. We had a flight from Dallas to uh, to Miami, Miami to Sao Paulo, and then Sao Paulo to Rio. Ugh. I'd be wary of airplanes with three legs, personally. Yeah. Makes them fly crooked. I heard something on... NPR about National Public Radio about how Brazil is an up-and-coming economy in the world and that there's a lot of entrepreneurship and business and, and even investment coming from the West. Yeah. Um, in Sao Paulo, actually, I mean, it's a huge city, but uh, tons of corporations are, you know, they have their headquarters out there and uh, there's, there's a lot of development going on. A lot of technology companies are placed out there, manufacturing, hmm. a lot of stuff going on. It's just something that I hadn't heard before. I mean, um, uh, about, you know, uh, places to invest, you know, for somebody who's looking to invest in uh, business and technology. It's, lot, it's an up-and-coming place. So let's talk about reporting services. What's, what's new? What's improved? Well, there's a lot of improvements. I think with most Microsoft products, you know, the third time is, third time is a charm. It's always that way. Well, a reporting service has always been a funny uh, product because it was supposed to come out with the version of SQL Server after 2000, which wasn't originally supposed to be 2005. It was supposed to be like 2003. And then when, when that version was going to be so delayed, they released it for 2000, but it was kind of a wacky version of the product. Yep. And yeah, then finally 2005 I think it's along. one of the very few products where they were actually early, earlier yeah. than scheduled. It, it was ready ahead of time, and it, and it just it seems like it's sort of been lost. But it, Microsoft struggled to make reporting products for the longest time. Yeah, yeah, and they had a partnership with Crystal for so long that when yeah. they realized they're missing out on something, you know, that's when they introduced reporting services. That was in the making for you know, three or four years uh, internally, and you know, they. They had been working on reporting services since 2000. Well, and it's one of those technologies that I think a lot of folks just take for granted, and it's way harder to do than you think. Yeah. So, new improved report designer in Visual Studio? Yeah, so um, in previous versions of reporting services, the only uh, real uh, design service for reports was within Visual Studio. Mm-hmm. And with 2008, they're actually introducing a kind of a standalone uh, application that's the, uh, the next version of their report builder tool. And it, it actually kind of couples the, uh, the uh, design interface of the Visual Studio with some of the goodness in report builder. So they had a version before of this report builder? Well, report builder before was kind of an ad hoc, uh, their attempt at an ad hoc uh, report designer. Yeah. Um, so something had, for users to use. Well, yeah, it was, it was really targeted at information workers. Okay. 
people that knew uh, you know, how to design reports. Uh, they weren't getting deep into the data models and SQL or anything. They were just given a data model to work with, and they would drag and drop basically, onto design surface. Mm -hmm. But it had a lot of issues. Uh, it didn't address uh, the needs uh, for most report consumers. And so I, I've yet to see a, a large project that's implementing Report Builder 1.0 yeah. out there. And the, the, the standalone and the Visual Studio implementation look pretty similar? Yeah. Uh, they actually um, uh, they were able to use the same code base for the new, uh, the 2008 version of Report Builder. Now, the... the the Report Builder 2.0, they actually delayed the release, so it's not in the RTM. Uh, and they're going to release a service pack or some hot fix or something later on in a few months. Uh, from what I heard, that will include the Report Builder 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, of course, it's Visual Studio 2008. It works in there. What, uh, what else is new and cool about it? Any, any new features that we couldn't have lived without before? Well, one of the my favorite features is the the new Tablix control or Tablix, however you want to pronounce it. Okay. Which, uh, kind of brings together the the matrix and the table. Ah, and, Tablix. Yeah. Sounded like a character at Quark's bar or something. <laughs> but um, so before 2008, um, if you wanted to create a tabular report, you'd drag and drop a table, you know, onto the report surface and. Um, you're kind of limited to basically a tabular format. Um, and if you wanted a matrix, which is basically a pivot table, um, you would drag that instead onto the design surface. And w with the tablets, they were able to actually um, merge the functionality of those two controls and enhance it. So you can do uh, uh, a lot, you have a lot more options with the, with the control. You get, you get to add um, dynamic columns, um, to the right and to the left of the groups, static columns as well. So it's like a like an Uber kind of grid control, like what some of these grids look like. Right. It's it's a lot more flexible. Yeah. Very cool. So is this really interactive then? I mean, normally reporting services is provided via a web interface. Am I able to pivot data and drill down and that sort of thing? Well, there is some um, interactivity. You can do um, interactive sorting, which you were able to do with 2005. Right. Uh, you can do drill throughs and drill downs. So if you have um, detailed data within your data set and you want to hide basically uh, certain group levels, you can do that and then drill down into those levels. And if you have other reports that are more detailed reports, you can do a, 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 drill, th uh, a drill through to those reports um, and pass in those parameters. Okay. That's cool. So, I mean, we're getting back into that sort of very visual model of uh, of getting at the data. Right. This, being... it's, it's a really good way to visualize data that's out in your SQL server, and, and you get it for pretty much free with the licensing that it, that it provides. Anything new on the back end, or is it still just plain old SQL server? Well, uh, the back end, it, it, it's always supported several different data providers, right? Um, it, but they did introduce a couple of new data sources. Uh, I think the biggest one that they introduced is the Teradata uh, data source support. Um, a lot of people wanted to uh, to connect reporting services to their Teradata. Teradata. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, Teradata just provides um, support for 
very, very large databases. Oh, oh okay. And uh, Reporting Service 2008 now comes with a data provider for that. Okay. So, um, but the the back end for reporting service is still in a SQL Server database. That that is a requirement um, because of the licensing. Right. So you have to own a copy of SQL Server to make this work, and it comes with it for free. But SQL Server license is not free. Was it twenty five thousand dollars a processor? It's free in the sense that if you already have a SQL Server instance running, yeah, you get a license of reporting services. Right. But in most cases, you're not going to uh, deploy your report server and your database server in the same instance, in the same server physically. Uh, it just because you know you want to do a separation of concerns, you want to keep your uh, reporting load. Uh, separate than your database engine, um, so most people end up separating the uh, the report server piece from the actual database. Okay. Um, what about some of the formatting options, like mixed formatting and the rich text box? Rich text box is pretty new. Yeah, and a lot of people get this confused because um, rich text implies RTF format, right. which is not the case in, in this. But um, I think this was a, a pretty well-requested feature in uh, reporting services is, was the ability for you to format uh, words and text within the same text box in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that wasn't supported before. So if you had uh, text that you want to format as bold and italicized, um, you'd have to create different text boxes to hold each word that you wanted to mm-hmm. format differently. So with uh, 2008, they implemented a new text box version that um, allows you to just highlight and, and format um, different pieces of text within the same text box. Oh, cool. And, uh, and they also added the support for HTML strings. So if you, um, if you have HTML data coming from your data source, um, reporting services now allows you to actually display that as formatted HTML. Okay. So that's really nice for things like mail merges, where you want to format whole paragraphs, and they are all coming from your database with HTML. Now, there's always been, speaking of text, there's always been PDF support. What about um, something, there's something new about Microsoft Word format? You can expect, uh, you can uh, make a docx file or something like that? Export. Well, it won't be a docx. It'll be uh, just a regular doc file. Um, but yeah, you're, you're going to be able to export your reports to, um, to the doc file, Word format. And a lot of people had asked about that, um, and they just couldn't understand why Microsoft didn't provide that from the beginning, hmm. seeing that um, they're all making the same, they're all making these products you know, right. under the same umbrella. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it finally you know, became reality, and uh, people will be able to, to re- export their reports to Word. Uh, the reason they're not going with DocX is because they wanted to, to uh, have backward compatibility. Ah, uh, sure. But they had 97, 2000, 2003 formats are all the doc format. Right. And there obviously wasn't anything they couldn't do that they had um, to have docx for. I would imagine in the future they're probably going to add that support as um, the versions of Office um, mature and they uh, deprecate the, old, the older versions and the licenses. And they're still using the Dundas gauge and chart controls? For the graphics, yeah, uh, they, yeah, they acquired um, the source code for the uh, the charting and gauge components for Dundas. Wow! Uh, between the 2005 and 2008 release, and then uh, started implementing them 
into the 2008 release. So now you have uh, a whole sort of components to use in your, uh, your report. A lot of different options for charts, for gauges. Um, it's very neat. You get all sorts of things from uh, thermometer-looking gauges to uh, odometer, speedometer yeah, I love gauges. those. I love yeah. those gauges. Yeah. And they look really nice when you put them on dashboards, SharePoint, things like that. It looks very impressive. Yeah, speaking of SharePoint, where does it fit into the reporting services model? In 2005 SP2, I believe, um, Microsoft released an uh, uh, integration mode between SharePoint and reporting services that basically just kind of turned the light on for uh, that uh, BI piece. And um, it tightly coupled reporting services with SharePoint so that um, you were introduced to a, uh, a report library, which was kind of a, a new uh, uh, new site template, basically. So it's like a, 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 um, a reporting services web part? Well, it's beyond that. It comes with a web part, but um, just like you can have document libraries in SharePoint for you know putting any kind of document in there, right. they created a new type of library called the report library where you can put your, um, your reports your reporting service reports there. And um, natively, SharePoint, uh, in integration mode with reporting services, would provide a viewer for your reports based on the uh, the report viewer control that was released with Visual Studio. Okay. So it's not the same web parts that were introduced between 2003 and 2005 that were just plain old uh, SharePoint 2.0 web parts. It's, it goes a little bit beyond that. Uh, in the sense that there's more integration pieces, um, and it also allows you to uh, to consume the filter web parts in SharePoint, um, which I think it's one of the, the coolest features. If you drop a, sh- a filter sh- uh, filter web part on your page that has not only a reporting services report but also an Excel services spreadsheet, um, some KPIs, um, and you pass down a filter to that page, all of those components can be filtered down to the same parameter values. Cool. Now, is reporting services still requiring Internet Information Server? Not in 2008. They really? removed that dependency, yeah. They wow. actually were able to uh, leverage the HTTP driver directly. HTTP sys. Sweet. Right. Sweet. And so um, your server that has reporting services does not require IS anymore, which makes it so much easier to deploy this Yeah, thing. I was going to say, it's like it, uh, Cassini on Visual Studio. Right. It you was just problems. a... a Huge headache uh, getting service accounts set up and yeah. trying to figure out which security context to put the uh, Windows Server versus the uh, the IS uh, application pool identity and then all sorts of different configuration files to touch. Um, with uh, without the IS indep- uh, dependency, you actually uh, all you have is a Windows service that handles everything, including the uh, HTTP requests. It's very nice. So a good simplification of it. And, and this really sort of backs us into this whole idea of running reporting services on a client machine. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, there's, there's several options for, uh, for when you're talking about running reporting services on a client, but this definitely makes it easier for deployment. Yeah, just just one big moving part you don't have to deal with anymore. Right, right. And there's less of a, a footprint on your server. Well, you, Richard, you're not just talking about loading up a PDF. You're talking about 
I, I'm able. just thinking about actually the classic disconnected client deployment of mm-hmm. a of a studio app actually still being able to use reporting services. Okay, right. against the local cache of data, let's say. Well, and, and, and IIS was one of a stumbling box on that. So I'm just starting to think through what it would take to do that. With uh, I'm, I think from a licensing point of view, even, this is not an easy thing to do. That, that, w- that would probably be uh, cost prohibitive just because of the licensing, right? Right. It, it, reporting services um, as a server tool um, still requires an installation of SQL Server. Yeah, and the... And the the free one won't do the SQL Server Compact or uh, you know the, the. No, you need a full license of SQL Server for um, every instance of of reporting services running. Correct, um, and you're still going to require a database engine somewhere that houses your report um, catalog. Sure. So your report server catalog, which is basically where your uh, report definition files uh, get stored in a blob. Um, as well as any metadata about your uh, folder structures, um, security, subscriptions, all of that, they still get uh, placed into this report server catalog database that needs to be sitting somewhere in your in your infrastructure. I want to just take a minute to uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, Telerik, and uh, let you know that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik. You know summer is in full swing now, and you're probably lying on the beach but our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand new control suites, RAD Controls for WPF and RAD Controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next-generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base and share the same API, so transition is seamless. Uh, They have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources, the Telerik Interactive Trainer and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now, that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. So that says to me that reporting service is still very much a server-oriented product. And for the the disconnected client model, uh, we should be looking elsewhere. Well, actually, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, One of the points that I want to talk about, it's something that a lot of developers don't realize, is that uh, with 2005, um, a new uh, set of web controls and uh, WinForm controls was released for reporting services. So the the important piece about reporting services is the report definition language format, which is the the RDL file that all the reports are designed in. It's an XML-based file. Right. It's an open format. Anybody that wants to develop um, applications that create reports, they can take that open format, the specification documents, and code against that. Uh, So what that means is if you don't like the way Visual Studio designs reports and you want to provide a better uh, design surface, by all means, go for it. Knock yourself out. Well, with uh, this new report viewer control, what Microsoft introduced was an actual... Um, miniature processing engine for reports without requiring a report server piece on the back end. Ah. If you think about it this way, what they've done is they allowed you to create 
uh, report definition files using the Visual Studio Designer, but the only thing that's missing is the data source information because um, your application can pass that into the report. And so with the control in place, you provided the report definition file, and then you provide the data set, and it will couple those two together and render the report, and you don't even have to have a report server running. And nice. that's how you would embed reports and, and provide reporting capabilities within your uh, applications, both web form and win form. That is sweet. Yeah. And it's, it's very, very simple to, uh, to do this. I, I, I've included a, a Shrinkster um, URL, which is shrinkster.com slash 11AVF. Okay. And uh, that's for the, uh, the website, the gotreportviewer.com. Kind of like Got Milk, huh. but it's Got Report Viewer. Good, and uh, it, get, it has a lot of details, some sample on how to use this uh, this control. It you don't have to have any of the SQL Server pieces installed. If you already have Visual Studio installed, you already have that. The control is in your toolbox right now. Notification services. What's the what's going on with that in two thousand eight? Well, it's going away. Um, Reporting services provides a, a pretty good um, subscription uh, model for delivering content and notif- notification services. Um, was it just too difficult? Um, why, why was that decision made? Do you know? I think um, reporting services provided a nicer end user experience than notification services. Okay. Um, it allowed the end user to go in and create schedules and then create. Um, subscriptions, which are basically SQL jobs. Um, so it provided a nice user interface on top of that. It's okay. just another... It, it provided an application layer on top of that stuff. And notification services was just a service. Not targeted to the uh, DBA. Correct. And the developers. Right. So what they've decided to do is um, do away with notification services and just continue with uh, the with, uh, same features but using reporting services. And I'm assuming that there's going to be a lot more to come from that uh, perspective in reporting services. They're going to add a lot more features, support more um, more things uh, as far as uh, notification and, and data-driven subscriptions and things like that. How well does that stuff perform? Because, it, you know, an awful lot of those abstraction layers, it gets really slow when all the things run at once. Well, it's actually not bad because all that it's doing is in the back end, it's creating SQL jobs. So if you go right now and uh, run a report, create a new subscription, um, and look at what's going on under the, the hood, what it's doing is it's actually creating SQL agent jobs um, and creating schedules for those jobs. And then um, the database server is you know, going to run those and uh, go on about its own business. Is performance in general better in SQL uh, reporting services 2008 than in 2005? As far as notification or just in general? In general. With um, yes, they, they've done a complete overhaul of the, uh, the processing and rendering engine. Um, they brought in a couple of new people between uh, the 2005 and 2008 release and uh, in the team, and they've just rewritten the whole thing from the ground up. Wow. And with that, they introduced uh, things like on-demand report processing, uh, memory throttling, and all sorts of features that allow for reporting services to perform better and, and scale better as well. Throttling, throttling. Richard, didn't you, you and Steve did do something with throttling on SQL Server? 
Yeah, we tried to come up with a way to do an estimate of the cost of a query before you ran the query to decide whether or not to run it based on your privileges. So, and it was really getting into this whole problem with with where governors generally will say any query costs more than this won't run. It didn't have any privilege based model on this, but I, you know, there's there's a different problem here, which I certainly run into re- with reporting services, which is you get these big reports, or you get reports where guys who feed parameters into it that says, "Give me everything," you know, I want five years worth of summary data here. And it just buries the machine. Like everything grinds to a stop while this monster query gets processed. Or it's rendering 100 million rows. And it's just in a tight loop. In a tight loop. Got to have that. (laughs) That that would be a problem not only from um, the the end user trying to get everything in one report, but that would probably be uh, a report design issue. Um, When you're sitting down and identifying the reports that you're going to work on, writing down document specifications for these reports. Um, one of the, thing, the things you want to consider is um, how are the users using this report or how do they intend on using these reports? And from what it sounds like, what, uh, what that person was doing is they wanted to get a data dump. Um, right. In which case, you know, reporting services is definitely not the right tool for the job, right? Um, it, it's, it's meant to give you reports. I mean, are you going to print out a thousand pages of a report. Um, who's going to read a thousand, a thousand pages of a report, right? Back in the days of ASP, I was uh, I, I was offering some services of co-location and and putting up websites on my hardware. And uh, there were these guys that were just doing some. I don't know. They had a basic site with some data on it. And one day, you know, everything ground to a halt. The machine was locked up tighter in the drum, and. I had no idea what was going on and uh, called them and they say, oh, yeah, we're running a report. Now, this was ASP, so it was, you know, VBScript. And I looked at what they were doing and they were going in VBScript. They were going through a tight loop, just taking select star from whatever, you know, just like the biggest query they could possibly do on my meager equipment, which, you know, was just barely choking along, just brought it to its knees. I've seen that happen a lot. I've gone in and I've seen... uh code in classic SP that would do select start on several tables. Yeah. But apparently the developer didn't know the the syntax for joins. Oh. So they would use oh. they would use loops within the uh the, the programming language. So oh. in VBScript or in PHP whatever um language they were using, they would basically oh. loop through the data set and let's try load to the join entire those. database in the RAM. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Yeah. So there's kinds of things that uh, need to be addressed before the report even gets designed. You know, uh, query performance, yeah. um, you know, the, the actual purpose of the report, um, and will it, need, will it ever require uh, the user to print out or to render a thousand pages? And if so, can we you know, put some filters on the report and prevent that from happening? What about extensibility points? Are there any... Um Places where you can extend reporting services new in 2008? Yeah, um, there's actually a new um, uh, extension in reporting services that it's called the um, RDL customization extension or RDC, mm-hmm. um, which is basically it's a pre processing extension and, and that kind of goes in hand with the new, um, the new model for on demand report processing. So back in 2005, whenever a report was, was requested, um, it would process the entire report, 
and um, that would take a long time. And that would—that's one of the reasons why the reporting services has always been had. A, they've always had an issue with um, performance, um, and the, uh, the solution for that was also just throw more more memory onto your server. So they wrote, rewrote the uh, the memory uh, model, the uh, processing engine, and everything. And to go with that, they provided this new um, RDL customization mm-hmm. extension that actually allows you to put a hook into the the processing uh, piece of the report and uh, inject uh, certain code, like custom code, into the uh, the report definition. So this is really handy if you've got reports that need to be localized. Yeah. And um, based on the, uh, the the requests, user identity, or maybe the locale or um, you know the country, um, you need to change how the report looks. Uh, maybe you know certain text boxes you know wouldn't fit um, very well and would wrap funny in a certain mm. language. Mm. Um, so with this extension, you can go in and specify certain items that need to be changed and, and things like that and customize your report that way. It's nice that you don't have to do it in the report itself. Right. Yeah, right. great. And along with that, they, you know, they still have um, several other extensions. Okay. You can, um, you can write a data provider extension. So out of the box, you get your yeah. OLADB, ODBC, SQL native client, um, XML, um, Teradata now, um, SharePoint, uh, Actually, SharePoint is in, a, in XML, but they nice. did introduce a SharePoint uh, delivery extension in 2008 that allows you to create a subscription of a report, and on a schedule, that report will get rendered and delivered to a SharePoint document library. So that's that's really neat if you have quarterly reports that need to execute for financial purposes, yeah. and they get placed in a certain SharePoint folder, so... Your C-level officers can go in every so often and open that up and see their financial statements. So the pre-processing hook, are they in the form of event handlers, or is there a base class that you have to implement? What's the implementation there? Well, with, with all of the extensions, they provide uh, interfaces that you have to implement along with um, certain classes that you have to work with. Great. Um, and with this particular extension, what they, they've done is they actually... Uh, they're actually handing you the stream that contains the uh, the report definition, mm-hmm. and with that you can take that and it becomes an uh, object model that you can manipulate and then pass that stream back to the request. So is it sort of a plug-in model? You sort of drop your assemblies in a folder and they just start working? Yes. Well, there's there's a couple other steps that you have to take, but in, a, in essence, that's that's exactly what you do. You you kind of drop your your uh, DLLs um, along in the bin folder along with the other um, DLLs for reporting services, and then you make a couple of configuration changes so yeah. that it knows to use your extension. Sweet. Sweet. And um, about delivery, is there a way to extend delivery options? Yeah. Um, right now, reporting services can deliver to an email, uh, file share, and to SharePoint lists. But I have seen delivery extensions for printers, Fax, um, cell phones, um, all sorts of different things. It's really wow. just up so to actually pushing the report directly to a phone. Hmm. Yes, you the report will get rendered, um, and you know a list. Of, you know, maybe it's a data driven uh, thing where you have a list of uh, providers or you know things like that that have phone numbers, and 
you pull that list and bam. You know, and obviously delivered. you'd have to render it differently too, using the same mechanism, I imagine. Right, right. You'd have to figure out if this report is even viewable in a phone yeah. to begin with. Very sweet. Uh, what else we haven't talked about? Security? Anything new in the security world? Um, not a whole lot different in security. It still um, supports Windows integrated authentication. That's that's their preferred method, um, and it works pretty well actually with that. Um, I've done a lot of work um, using Windows integrated authentication and reporting services, setting up uh, AD groups that have access to certain reports or certain folders, um, and it does a pretty good job of that. Um, you can extend it to support forms of authentication. And out of the box, it actually comes with a sample um, that that basically gives you all the code you need to implement forms of authentication um, security. So uh, tools, utilities, resources. Is there some stuff out there already? You, you have a book on, uh, uh, on yeah. reporting services. You want to talk about that? Sure. We are in the final phase, the final stages of the book, and hopefully it will be out um, in the next couple months. Um, it's um, with rocks, so we'll have our pictures on the cover and all that good all stuff. All right. Yeah. Got to like uh, that. Yeah. and uh, It's a great way to get girls, because, man. Um, at TechEd, I met some of the uh, the rocks uh, folks, and one of the ladies there, she was talking about putting together a calendar called... Uh, Rock stars. <laughs> nice. And it'll be kind of like a fireman's calendar, but with the pictures. <laughs> no, please, no. You don't really want to go down that path, do you? No. no. So I told her that she can uh, just Photoshop my picture, my photo onto somebody else's body. Nice. Yeah, well, you be careful with that one, too, because you never know what you're going to end up with. You Photoshop your head onto my body, and then they'd all go crying for help. So uh, you're a guitar player too, aren't you? Yeah, uh, actually, um, we had the pleasure of uh, of playing together a couple of years ago at TechEd. Yes, we did. Yeah, um, I was on the bass actually that year. And, yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, there was a video floating around on YouTube with that. Yeah, those jam session videos are horrible, aren't they? Because they're taken yeah. with little, you know, little uh, cameras, and the sound in the room is so loud that it ends up sounding on the camera like. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. We're yeah we're back to this whole what is the connection between music and software development? Um, yeah. I don't know, but there seems to be a lot of developers into. Music and especially into guitars. Even more since I, rock I'm band came out. I'm always amazed at how many people are drawn to those jam sessions at TechEd. Yep, it is amazing. Yeah. Lots and lots of folks that want to play. Yeah. Tell us about I mean, getting back to our topic here for just a second. <laughs> Tell us about RS Scripter by Jasper Smith. Yeah, so a few years ago, I found this tool. It was written by this guy who apparently is a DBA, Jasper Smith. And it's a really, really cool tool. Um, if you have to do deployments of reports and you have multiple environments and you've got to script things out, Reporting Services provides a scripting uh, mechanism um, for you to kind of build out your your whole deployment, mm-hmm. um, builds and all of that. But it's kind of a pain because um, it's it's very flexible because everything is VB.NET based, right? Um, but you still have to do it. And a lot of it is very repetitive. Once you do it the first time, it could probably reuse most of it. 
So what this DBA um, guy did, Jasper Smith, he actually wrote a tool called RS Scripter that has some baked-in templates for um, for deploying these different items, uh, being reports, data set, or data sources, um, uh, setting security context. And he basically gave you a UI where you can connect to a reporting services instance, um, and it gives you a... Uh, tree view of all of your reports, which is actually something that I always wanted report manager to provide, yeah. a tree view uh, of your reports instead of a folder-based yep. view. Right. So this guy provides a UI with a tree view where you can check each item that you want deployed, and it will go in and create scripts for you. And you can save them off, or you can uh, save and then uh, point to a uh, destination server, and they'll run the script for you on that server. Wow, cool. And basically copy um, all of your items that you've checked off. So in essence, you can recreate a whole environment, a whole reporting environment with this tool. Wow. Yeah. And that's a free tool, obviously. Absolutely. I don't think there has been any update to it in the last year. He probably has other stuff to do. Yeah, I'm sure. They'd probably do for a version for 2008, but uh, yeah, we'll see. And I don't think. I don't think there's going to be that much change because the uh, the model for for the the, script, the scripting model hasn't really changed that much. Um, Did we mention the shrinkster on that 11ax? Yes. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's if if you have a need for report uh, deployment and you just don't want to sit sit down and write a bunch of VB.NET scripts for this, this tool is great and it's free. Still dependent on framework 1.1, though, so it is it is a little old, but it seems to be working. Yeah. Uh, how does uh, Windows 2008 play with all of this ah. in terms of the deployment and behavior? Have you tried any of that? Um, actually, I during the uh, the beta for SQL Server, I had Windows Server 2008 installed on a, v, uh, on a VM, and uh, I had reporting services sitting on top of that the SQL Server 2008 beta or RC0. Nice. And and I I never had any issues. Um I I think they they did a pretty good job of integrating this uh and making them play well together. So, so it just works. You don't notice any difference at all. Correct. And I, I got to think that one of the things the SQL 2008 team did in the past couple of months just before they RTM'd was a whole bunch of Windows 2008 testing. Yep. And and I think that because Windows Server came out quite a bit before they had a little bit more of a chance to test yeah. this out. If it was the other way around, if SQL Server had actually RTM'd before, um, they might have had an excuse to say, oh, it didn't work because we were working with beta right. of Windows Server. So at least now they, they didn't have an excuse, but they did take care of testing it out. They did work it all out, so not an issue. i got to tell you, I love Windows 2008 Server. Yeah. Love, love, love it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, my my only extent of experience with 2008 Server has been with these VMs for reporting services, just for writing the book, and then um, for IS7, which I really like. Hey Richard. Yeah. Hey Richard. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes, I didn't have to use IS7 for reporting services. So. Hey Richard. Yes, sir. I run it on the desktop. Shh. <laughs> Stop talking about that. <laughs> It's, it's awesome. just the same I, as Vista, don't you know? Awesome. We have we have a really large uh, group of uh, Microsoft folks here at Hitachi, and whenever something new comes out, um, we always get emails going around saying, "Hey, do we have a license to run this on our on our laptops?" 
And as soon as uh, Hyper-V came out, uh, somebody sent out an email asking if we could run Windows Server 2008 with Hyper-V and then have a bunch of VMs for everything else. Yeah. And I thought that was an well, interesting that- approach. Unfortunately, we don't have license for that. But I'm thinking that that is the future. That it's not going to be that many years before that is just the basic configuration of everybody's computer is yeah. a core OS and everything's a VM. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. It's just an interesting progression. Gotta get that. Can USB we talk working? a little bit about Hitachi? I don't know that people really understand the company and okay. and just I mean they're the guys who built. Um, the Skyline, the mainframe that's the equivalent of IBM's 360. Yeah. So, really dense hard drives. Um, they are, we are under this huge umbrella of Hitachi Limited. Massive and Hitachi company. Limited is a company that has hundreds of other companies within that umbrella. Uh, we happen to be the, uh, the consulting arm for Hitachi. Wow. Um, so we provide uh, consulting services um, and I think we're one of the only, if not the only, uh, service-based company under the Hitachi umbrella, um, we, which is kind of interesting um, because Hitachi Consulting actually uh, started uh, from an acquisition, but then we grew organically. Um, we we start we had people from the uh, Anderson acquisition, if you remember back in uh, the days when uh, Anderson went down. Right, yes, right. the great we, Enron debacle. Right. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of people come over, uh, and we and Hitachi was just starting out. Uh, and then through the years, you know, and there have been several acquisitions, um, but, you know, we just kept growing. And now we're at over, um, I believe we're at over 2,000 employees across um, the U.S., and we have offices in in London, uh, in Portugal, uh, in Spain, as well as Japan, and uh, I think that's about it. Maybe it's pretty bit. awesome. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's pretty nice because we're not that big of a consulting firm, but we're big enough that we have a nice pool of very competent folks working here. Well, and backed by a massive company, no yeah. question about that. Yeah. So so brand recognition is immediate. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Where do you? Uh, how much of the reporting services stuff are you doing that's actually business intelligence related? We actually do, business intelligence is the bread and butter of Hitachi Consulting. So it's, right. we have a lot of work with BI, and then we also have a lot of work with uh, ERP systems. But um, when it comes to reporting services, um, there's quite a few people that actually use um, like analysis services as the back end for their reports instead of a, a, a SQL Server uh, database, like a relational database. Um, and, and they, they do pretty well. Um, they actually get uh, a lot better reports because they have more data to support what they want to do. Well, and, and that's the thing I find is that folks are, are, they start out in OLTP databases and writing a bunch of reporting. And there's a point at which you realize that most of the work you're doing in your reporting would be better served by uh, some kind of business intelligence data store, an, an OLAP data store. And yep. then redoing the reports in that new model is a lot faster. It's absolutely net. correct. I mean, we, we go into some uh, some clients, and uh, they're not sure exactly how they want the reports to uh, to be rolled out. Um, and we identify after conversations, we identify that they really want reports that pull from transactional uh, or historical uh, data, 
And so we have to make the decision on should we really be using uh, OLAP if they are going with a historical approach, or do they want real-time live data from a transactional system? So I find that most customers say they want real-time, but they don't really. Yeah, they that is that, that is the case in, in a lot of places. They they tell you one thing, but they really don't want that. They don't understand, uh, the, understand real, the consequences. They don't understand what what that all means, and so it's really up to us to explain and to sit down and listen to them and understand what they're trying to what, what they're trying to get. What kind of information? Um, how are they making decisions based on that information? Well, my fa- favorite one with real-time reporting is they'd always want to look at it in the context of previous days, and they'd always be annoyed that the current day was was so much lower numbers. And like, well, the current day is still going on, yep. so not all the sales are in yet. Right. If we could yeah, just I've... move ahead in time a little bit, can you guys <laughs> add that feature, please? Can I shift? Yeah, yeah there's a, a new extension for reporting services that allows time shifting. Yeah, so the wormhole <laughs> extensions, I think. That, that, that's right. Right. <laughs> Now that's projections. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think we're going to be talking about performance point at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a whole other uh, can of worms. Oh, uh, one other tool I know you mentioned, uh, but maybe we need to talk a little bit more about it is RS Build. It's on uh, on Codeplex. Yeah, so I ran into that last year. Um, I've um, I've only uh, played with it. I've never actually implemented that anywhere, but I thought that was a neat tool to just point out. Um, somebody took the time to to create this uh, uh, MS build uh, based uh, mechanism uh, for reporting services. So if you're used to writing a build process using MS build, then RS build is just a, it's a free uh, Codeplex uh, download. Uh, that somebody put out there that just uh, has some basic tasks uh, for uh, talking to the SQL Server uh, database and and deploying reporting services items. Very simple, um, but can get the job done. But also the ability to run uh, SQL queries right. ahead of putting the jobs in. Right. So you actually do quite a bit with that if you're creative enough to just come up with all the different things that you need. True. Uh, other favorite bits in the 2008? What do you think of the new version of the BI pieces? Um, I think, like, like I said in, in my first statement, is Microsoft is getting it right. And, yeah. and their vision with BI is just getting bigger and bigger, and we're just now starting to see the tip of the iceberg. Right? They're tying in a lot of their BI tools, and they're really pushing uh, that BI uh, to outside of the development uh, and the DBA uh, the DBA's hands into the analysts and the information workers, the people that are actually looking at this data every day and trying to make sense of it and, and crunching numbers. And, and so that's that's interesting because now you're talking uh, you're talking about a server uh, technology that is geared towards uh, end users and, and consumers. So um, you know, things yeah. like Excel, for example, that has always been around, but really only in the last uh, release have you started to see uh, the opportunities for uh, utilizing business intelligence within Excel. Uh, well, you know, one tool that I think is a no-brainer to, to work with reporting services is PowerShell. Yeah. You seen anybody using uh, PowerShell scripts to automate reporting services? You know, I, I haven't yet, but when PowerShell is coming out, I actually thought that it would be neat to somehow write uh, deployments or, you know, uh, automate uh, reporting service with PowerShell. And I was actually kind of surprised because with SQL Server, there's a lot of things that um, 
that you can do with PowerShell now. They've, they've kind of integrated that PowerShell uh, provider for SQL Server. Mm. But there really isn't anything out of the box for reporting services with PowerShell. Other than manipulating the files themselves. Other, other than actually manipulating the database server where your report server catalog is you know, right. is stored, which is really not reporting services. It's right. the database Simple. engine. It does seem like it takes a very specific effort on this part of the team to make PowerShell work well with right. the product. You do have to expose certain things and, and approach problems a certain way to make that all work. Right. And I think also because if you look at how uh, they've chosen to use VB.net, not mm-hmm. only within the reports, you know, for you know basic expressions, for formatting and things like that, but also for deployments, um, it tells you that they their, their initial thought was let's stick with VB.net because it's a, it's a well-known language. And if you um, have done server administration, things like that, you're familiar with VB script. So it shouldn't be that hard to pick up. Right. Uh, whereas PowerShell is kind of a newer thing and um, hasn't gained as much traction as VB has in the, what, 10 years, 15 years that it's been around. Although, I mean, PowerShell speaks .NET, so .NET developers ought to be able to jump PowerShell through some interesting hoops. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of potential there. Yeah, I mean, if you can sit down and be creative with it, I'm sure you can do all sorts of crazy things. <laughs> oh yeah, you can get Microsoft's always good trouble. at giving us enough rope to hang ourselves with. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You probably hang yourself so far down that you just hit the ground. <laughs> you know, that's a long rope. Yep. Any other resources that we haven't mentioned that you want to point out? Um, I don't think so. I think we've we talked about it a lot of. Uh, a lot of things. And your blog? Um, silverware. The play on my last name. Yeah, no pun intended, right? <laughs> uh, Not no silverware, right. but silverware. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, it's at silverware.blogspot.com, and uh, I occasionally blog there um, you know, about new things or just whatever you know, I feel like blogging about. And I'm actually trying to be more proactive about the blogging, just... Uh, you know, with the book, you know, it takes some time, so. You bet. Yeah. But uh, I'm also on Twitter, so uh, if you want to follow me, uh, twitter.com slash T-A-F-S-7. All right. Thanks, Tiago. Thank you guys for having me on the show. It's been uh, great having you. And we'll see you next time on Dino Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.